I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, Murd Nerds. Another week and another story of true crime. I hope all returning listeners are enjoying all of the episodes that we've been putting out lately. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm sure you're one of us, a consumer of true crime stories. And as far as us here at Murd Nerds, we are a weekly true crime podcast that covers unsolved, missing, and strange true crime cases in our home state of Indiana. Each week, either myself, Alicia, or my best friend and co-host Ashley will research, retell, and deconstruct a true crime case that we can't stop thinking about. If you liked this story, why not check out our past episodes? By my side to help me along this journey, we have Ashley. Ashley, tell the listeners hi. What up, what up, what up? And also our producer and editor, Jeremy. Jeremy, tell the listeners hi. Sup. (laughs) Guys, can you believe it? This is episode 20. 20! It's been a complete and utter shock how well that this is done and how much it's taken off. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the continued support from all of you. And to show our love, I would like to give all of our listeners a discount code for our merch shop. Woo woo! Nice. Yeah, we got a lot of cool designs on there. And uh, the code, I'm going to whisper it, the code is episode 20. That's really uh, clever. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 20. And you'll get $5 off any purchase using that code until June 30th. And we have lots of great stuff so far, like some real sick leggings, some hoodies, crew neck sweaters, tees, some cutoffs. um, Or excuse me, crop tops, not cutoffs. Cutoffs. No, (laughs) cutoffs coming soon. (laughs) Uh, And we're currently coming up with lots of other fun and unique designs for you to show your passion of true crime content. And our podcast, Murdered's podcast. But this code won't be live forever, so get your merch while it's hot. Sizzle, sizzle, sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, uh, I'm going to ask a question. Uh, but you personally. Me personally. Okay, cool. Yes. And it's something that I always find interesting when covering true crime as how haunting some of the cases can be. So the question is, what is the creepiest true crime case that you have ever heard? And it doesn't have to be from Indiana. Jeremy, do you have one on the brain? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, I heard it, but I haven't like, I mean, it didn't rabbit hole it or anything. It was just one of those that I heard about. And it just kind of creeped me out a little bit. It was it was about a, sil- a, uh, a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was brilliant because he was that young uh, big boy that ended up actually killing his par- or his grandparents because he lived with them. But when the cops showed up, he was just standing outside going, yeah, I did it. And then he explained it. And as he got on later in life, then he uh, started uh, hanging out at the bar where all the police officers would go to. Yes. I, what's his name? Well, they called him like uh, Big Ed or something like that. But I can't remember exactly what his last name it's, was. It's not Egeen, is it? I thought it started with an H, but now I have to forgive me. But the creepiest part of it was is that he would uh, dismember his female victims, Mm -hmm. and then he would have sex with them (gasps) after they were – so is that – what is it called? Necrophilia? Yeah. But the biggest one, the the whole weirdest part of that was he had actually killed his – 
biological mom, he was staying with her and her best friend or whatever. But yeah, he went on to explain how he had sexual relations with, with, with her, her head. head. Yeah, I think it's Ed Gein, yeah. Is it? Yeah, Ed Gein's. And it's funny because he does uh, um, voiceover, like he reads books. Yeah, from Voice, prison. Yeah, from prison. No kidding. Yeah. They yes. say he's, he's huge. Yeah, he's, he's a, a big, big dude, but he's like a gentle, quote unquote, yeah. giant. He comes <laughs> off as being like a gentle person. Yeah. Yeah. So that just kind of creeped me out. The, the whole idea of him doing that with his mom's head is a little yeah. weird. That's yeah, fucked that's up. fucked up. You got one, Ashley? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have two. Oh. My first one is Richard Ramirez. Uh, I mean, the Night Stalker. Yeah, but his whole spree was just fucking creepy. Yeah. And his face. Oh, and, and when he, he held like, up his hand. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, but. <clears throat> There's, There's people that think he's attractive, and I'm like, in what no, fucking universe? You, I read like that he stunk, he smelled bad, his teeth were disgusting, he was always dirty, like, ugh, just creepy all yeah. around. But there's this other one, it's Catherine Knight, mm-hmm. have you heard of her? Mm-hmm. She, I think, I want to say it was Australia, but I'm not positive. She was like one of the first, I think it was Australia, she was one of the first women to be convicted um, and get life without the chance of parole okay. in Australia, question mark. But um, she killed her husband or her boyfriend, her long-term partner, whatever. And she, like, like skinned him. (gasps) And she was going to feed him to his kids, to his two children. Okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That that one light bulb came on. That is so sadistic, like... What the fuck? Yeah, like you have to be crazy to kill someone. Like that's my thought. Yeah, I yeah. think you had you would have to have something not right in your noggin for sure. But then to go so many steps further, mm-hmm. and again, it's crazy. Even okay f- to feed him to his kids, that's really fucked up. But all the stuff in between, scanning him and like yeah, going through the whole ooh. spiel. Bleh. Bleh. Creepy. So mine isn't a serial killer, but. Doesn't, doesn't have to be. Mine is kind of crazy. So it's the death of Henry McCabe. And once I tell you the story, you might recognize it. The name actually sounds familiar. It's, ooh. So I heard this case years ago when um, it was on Coast to Coast AM. And at the time, I worked at a paint shop, which Ashley worked at the paint shop, mm-hmm. too. So we, you know how it is in the booth. Oh, you're yeah. Just like, and when I would always drive in there when I had to be there early, and I would listen to Coast to Coast because it ended at 5 a.m. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I had to be there at 5, I could get a good, like, 45 minutes in in the I morning. Love Coast to Coast. Me, too. I love it so much. But Art Bell and George, George Nori. Nori. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So um, I would listen to the replays during work. Mm-hmm. And so I'd just be sitting in the paint booth with my headphones in, basically in my own little world the whole time. And I would listen to a lot of true crime content and spooky stories. So um, this one, it just always gave me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, Henry was a 32-year-old man from Minnesota, and while his wife was out of state, he went to enjoy a night out with some friends at a local club, and Henry asked to be dropped off at a gas station And after they were at the club, and nobody really knows why, but um, when he got to the gas station, he then called his wife, who didn't answer because it was super early in the morning, um, so it went right to voicemail. And that's where he leaves behind a two-minute-long message that is just chilling. The voicemail doesn't sound human at all, and you can hear him screaming along with the inhuman sounds. Um, so 
I mean, maybe it was him just making these most horrific noises, possibly, I don't know, or maybe it was something not of this world, but we're going to clip in the audio, so be prepared that it's pretty gnarly. So his body was found two months later. And obviously, this is a SparkNotes version of um, the whole thing, and I left a lot out. But go do some research and get back with me about how you feel about this case. Because every time I listen to it, it's just goosebumps. And if you – I know we we do stick to Indiana, but, I mean, if people look it up and they want you to cover it, just let us know. know. She'll cover it. I'll go in more in depth. The case I'm going in depth on today is one that I've had on my list since the podcast, which just a little idea inside of our brains. And I mentioned it, mentioned it to you um, at your apartment, like after our very first episode, because I was like, don't cover that case. And you haven't so far. So we're 20 in and you haven't covered it. Thank you. Well, sub- it's subconscious because I don't remember what, <laughs> what it is. <laughs> like always, uh, there isn't a whole lot of information, at least public information, but there is a lot of speculation and circumstances that can draw you to the assumption of exactly who did it. This is the case of missing Richmond, Indiana woman, Nikki McCown. My sources are a YouTube video by one of my favorite YouTubers who I have been watching for so long, Danielle Hallam, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, and storiesoftheunsolved.com. Nikki's legal name was Marilyn Renee Nicole McCown. She commonly went by Nikki, so that's what I will continue to call her throughout the episode. Nikki was born on January 6th, 1973, and she was the youngest of 8 to 10 siblings. And I say that because there were several different reports, whether it was eight or ten. But regardless, she was the youngest and she had a lot of older siblings. I do remember this. And you know what? She's on my list. Oh, so thank I'll, God. I'll <laughs> take her off. Yeah, she was on there because uh, I watched I watched something about her not too long ago. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Uh, she was raised in and still lived in at the time of her disappearance, Richmond, Indiana. And Richmond is a little over an hour east of Indianapolis and lies right at the Indiana-Ohio border. Nikki's father described her as the only child of his that could somehow get herself out of anything and everything. It didn't matter what, Nikki would find a way. She was larger than life, bubbly, the center of attention, and independent. She was beautiful. Yes, she was absolutely gorgeous. Um, She was also extremely intelligent, intelligent, (laughs) (laughs) which we are not. (laughs) She was also extremely intelligent and craved learning. She had a passion for criminal justice, which is kind of ironic in all of this, so much so that her goal was to work for the FBI or even the U.S. Marshals. Nikki also had a huge love for her family. She grew up in a large family herself and knew that's what she wanted also. She wanted to get married and have a bunch of kids. She longed to be a wife and a mother. And when she was a high school freshman, she fell in love with her first boyfriend, Robert Webster or Bobby. Bobby was a senior at the same high school that Nikki attended, and it was more than just puppy love. Nikki knew that this was the man that she would marry. And as I stated before, Nikki had this idea that she would be a wife and a mother, But Bobby was kind of the opposite. He was known for being a player, quote unquote, and always having a lot of girls after him, which in turn 
caused a lot of problems for Nikki. She was harassed by these girls, which is just crazy to me. But I guess that's high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And because she had the guy that everybody wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It got to the extent of her having to be walked out of her job by security guards at her after school job. These girls were just relentless. They were stalking and harassing her daily. Are you serious? In high school. Oh, my God. Over a boy. Over a boy. Over a boy. Huh. Bitches be mean. Despite that, Nikki and Bobby ended up dating off and on throughout her high school years. But as she entered her senior year of high school in 1991, Bobby spontaneously moved to California. Nikki was upset because she really did love him. But she always had a way of looking at things positively, which was just like Nikki. Um, She could now focus solely on herself. Now, was he spontaneously moved... So was he old enough and moved on his own, or did he move with his parents? He moved on his own because oh, okay. when she was a freshman, he was a senior. Oh, okay. so he was okay. like so he four was far years out of school. Okay. Yeah, he was like four years older than her. Um, she could start accomplishing all of these things, these big dreams that she had, um, and she focused on the other love of her life, which was learning. Once Nikki graduated high school in 1992, she started working full time, and eventually she met a man who made her totally forget about Bobby, Stephen Johnson. Her and Stephen really headed off. She was swept completely off of her feet by Stephen. They ended up moving into an apartment together. And at 19, Nikki gave birth to her daughter, Peyton. Wow, that's young. Yeah. Oh, well, I was 19 when I got pregnant with Yeah, you were my young. Son. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was 19 when Skylar was born. Oh, wow. I was 20 when I lost my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Today on uh, Special Facts with Ashley. <laughs> Get to know your murder host. <laughs> I was a loser. No. So the relationship with uh, Nikki and Stephen was really wonderful at first, until Stephen lost his job. Once Stephen was let go, Nikki had to take all the responsibilities on herself. She had to provide monetarily for not only herself and her daughter, but now Stephen as well. Working, being a mother of an infant, housework, etc., with Stephen having no prospects to find another job anytime soon, as you can imagine, this caused her to become stressed and caused a lot of turbulence within her relationship with Stephen. She felt like she couldn't be the mother that she wanted to be because Stephen had no interest in finding another job. To top it off, Stephen admitted to regularly cheating on Nikki and even being abusive towards her. This relationship that started off so well had done a complete 180. Nikki left Stephen, which wasn't easy, I'm sure, but Nikki wouldn't stop being the independent and strong woman and mother that she was. She had to keep going for Peyton and for all the big dreams that she had for herself and for her daughter. Good for her. Yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. Get it, girl. Nikki also knew that she wanted Peyton and Stephen to still have a really incredible relationship because even though he was a shitty boyfriend, he was a really good father. So even though they couldn't get along... They moved forward and had a really easy co-parenting relationship for Peyton. Nikki was able to get back to focusing on herself, and she was doing so, so well. She was doing everything that she wanted to. She ended up getting a job at the Montgomery Education and Pre-Release Center in Dayton, Ohio in 1994, which is a medium security prison. She started as a guard, but was able to move up to the position of head accountant. All of her superiors saw how much talent she had working within law enforcement. They asked if she would join the hostage negotiation team, and this just furthered her interest in working in criminal law. 
While being a single mother to a very young child and working a full-time job at the prison, she began taking criminal justice courses at Sinclair Community College in Dayton, where she would be on the dean's list. Fuck yeah. Yeah, she's killing it out there. Those portraits were. It's just it's a common expression. We've it I think is. we've done that like four or five times already. We have, and I tried to catch myself and I didn't. But Nikki was truly blowing everyone out of the water. This woman was twenty years old and accomplishing more than most do. While Nikki was out crushing all her dreams, Bobby moved back from California to Richmond in nineteen ninety eight. Uh oh. He described it as an immediate connection. It was as if the fire that burned for one another never really went out, and they got back together. They both had grown so much, and both loved each other still, so they wanted to give it another shot. Bobby supported everything Nikki was doing and loved Peyton immediately. Bobby really admired Nikki, too, and figured that he couldn't let her go for a second time. So he asked her to marry him, and Nikki said yes. Finally, all of her dreams and goals were playing out exactly how she wanted them to. But, as we know, things are just too good to be true sometimes, and three weeks before Bobby and Nikki's wedding, Nikki went missing. Bobby and Nikki went to church the morning of July 22, 2001, like usual. Then, afterwards, she was going home, gathering laundry, and going to the laundromat. This was the usual ritual. They usually spent Sunday doing all of the week's laundry. There's only three of them, so I'm sure that was... (laughs) Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You You mean that like 18? I was going to say, comparative, yeah. yeah. You've got a litter, yeah. Um, So this time Bobby wasn't going to go with her because he was going to the tuck shop with his cousin who had procrastinated getting his tux fitted three weeks before the wedding. I would fight him. (laughs) That is so close. Every wedding has one of those. Yeah, for real. Then that evening, he planned on being home around 4.30, 5 o'clock-ish, and then they were going to finish the wedding invites, which, once again, three weeks before the wedding, and they're finishing wedding invites. It's wild to me. Well, maybe well they, you send out save the dates first. Yeah, well, or, or they maybe only had a few. Maybe it wasn't yeah. like a giant oh, wedding. Yeah, good that's point. true. That's a really good point. It was only going to be like 30 or 40 people, or even that's kind of big. I don't yeah. Know. Well, basically, they were just trying to tie up any loose ends since the wedding was, you know, three weeks away, and Bobby let Nikki take his vehicle, which was a 1990 red GMC Jimmy 4x4, because her car was like a small little tiny combat car. This was so she could get all of the week's laundry in one go and not have to make multiple trips. On her way to the laundromat, Nikki took Peyton, her daughter, to her parents' home at around 12 p.m. Peyton was eight, so she would probably be bored just sitting and waiting for all the clothes to be done. And after dropping her off, she headed to her normal laundromat, Richmond Coin Laundry. While all of the clothes were drying, Nikki decided to go back to her parents' house. And this was something that she did a lot because they lived close and the dryer, you know, it can take forever sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when she arrived, she was clearly really aggravated. Her mother, Barbara, and her sister, Tammy, immediately noticed how upset and bothered Nikki was. She mentioned to her mother that while her clothes were washing, two men started harassing her. Her mother offered to go help her get all of the clothes out of the dryer and just bring them back to her house to dry, but she declined and said that she could handle it. She went back to the laundromat to get her clothes after she believed that they were done, and she was completely alone and said she would be back to get her daughter. 
Bobby returned home from the fitting and noticed that Nikki wasn't back yet, but he didn't think much of it because he knew that that was quite a bit of laundry and he knew that Nikki had taken Peyton to her parents' house. Surely she was just running late from talking with her parents or the laundry taking longer than expected. So he relaxed, watched some TV, and waited for Nikki to return. But by 6 p.m., Nikki and Peyton still hadn't come back, and Bobby started to get really concerned. He called two of Nikki's sisters, Michelle and Tammy, and... What? Why wouldn't he call her mom? I don't know. That's a I'm that's sorry. A I didn't mean to no, shake but, my head. No. All that. I'm just <laughs> Do over... the sisters live with, with the mom or one of them? Because it sounded like... Yeah, I was going to say, I mean... Sorry. <clears throat> no, you're good. He called two of Nikki's sisters, Michelle and Tammy, and they stayed, stated that they hadn't seen Nikki since she left to go back to the laundromat. And when Bobby contacted Barbara, her mom, she originally wasn't too worried. Uh, she knew that her daughter was tough and also tried to explain it away. She thought maybe that Nikki had last minute decided to head into work, which is about 30 to 40 minutes away after grabbing her laundry. And apparently this was pretty common for Nikki to do. But maybe it's just me. But I feel like if you just saw her and she didn't mention that was something she was going to do. And also she stated that there were creepy men giving her a hard time at the place that she was going. Yeah. And now she is missing. Yeah, but you try to rationalize. The, exactly. It's too scary to think about the alternative. Exactly. Maybe she was just trying to comfort herself mm-hmm. and not think the worst. I don't know. But at the end, or as the night went on, everyone started to get more and more concerned about not knowing where Nikki was. Naturally. At 9 p.m., after calling extended family and friends, thinking maybe she had just met up with friends to discuss wedding plans or maybe picked some people up to do some last-minute wedding shopping, Bobby and the family realized that, okay, this is much more serious than we thought, and we need to take this a step further. This is not the Nikki that they knew, and she was a very punctual, very serious about plans, very diligent person. When it came to doing things, she always kept her word. This was not her. At 10 p.m., the whole family started to think that maybe she had gotten in a car accident, which that's kind of rational thinking at that point. Barbara called Stephen and asked if he would come pick up Peyton so that they could go actively out and look for Nikki. He also was concerned, too, and knew that this was very unlike Nikki. I mean, they had a very serious relationship together. He knew that. First, they started calling all local hospitals, thinking that if she did end up in an accident, she'd be at the hospital by now, right? But unfortunately, all calls led nowhere. They then decided the next option would be to take the route that she would probably take to get from her parents' house, home, and then to the laundromat. Maybe her car broke down. Nothing. They started spreading out down back roads and other roads, other places she may go, even going as far as to drive the route that she would take to work in Dayton. And they still found nothing. What year was this again? This Did was she go missing? 2001. Okay. Okay. So, like, kind of cell phones, but kind of not. We'll get to that. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're fine. By midnight, July 23rd now, Nikki's father decided that they needed to go down to the police station and file her as a missing person. But, like we see happen all of the time with cases, the Richmond police believed that there was no reason to be concerned and no reason to file a report. Nikki was an adult, and she could leave if she so chose to. Maybe she was just having, you know, wedding jitters or was stressed from work. She wasn't in danger, and they believed that, and she had no mental or physical health concerns. 
And it really pisses me off every time I hear this because, yes, grown adults are allowed to leave without telling family or friends. They're not allowed to, they are allowed to disappear, but more times than not, this isn't what goes on. If a family member is telling you that this is abnormal, law enforcement needs to listen. Yes. I loved your condescending tone that whole time you were being law enforcement. (laughs) (laughs) There are missing person cases where the family says it wasn't odd for them to leave and not say anything. And in those cases, it makes sense not to panic. But when someone is stressing that this is not like the person to do this and something is seriously wrong, do something. Yeah. If law enforcement reacted this way instead of brushing it off, imagine how many cases could be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there'd be some time wasted on, not even wasted, I guess on adults it would be wasted, but like even on like ones they say are potential runaways. Okay, it's still a kid out there by themselves. Like, fucking exactly. find them. Exactly. There's only so much time to find evidence and get clues. The worst case is that the person will be found and ask for their location to not be disclosed to their family for whatever reason. Also, they told the parents, since she wasn't in any danger, quote unquote, that they needed to wait 72 hours before filing a report. This is not true. 72 hours? 72 hours. Sometimes I'll tell you 24, 48, but yeah, there's no... There's no, you know, it's opinion-based down to the cop, really. Yep. This is not true. If someone you love goes missing, you can file whenever. If law enforcement tells you otherwise, stand your ground. The sooner a police file is started and looked into, the more likely they are to be found or evidence is to be found. Anyway, now that I've got my whole rampage out there, Mm -hmm. um, since they were not getting help from the police, Nikki's family started searching through her Uh, her and Bobby's shared apartment. They found Nikki's purse and her ID, which was odd because that means that she left it before she went to the laundromat. She definitely wouldn't be doing any shopping with her wallet that was in the purse and wouldn't leave it behind if she was going to Dayton. That morning, they were also able to get footage from the deli that was near the laundromat that had footage of Nikki buying something around the time that she would be washing her clothes, but nothing that gave clues or showed that there was a problem. Nikki's brother-in-law worked at the same correctional facility that she worked at, so her sister decided to go directly there and talk to the guards since they had already known her. Um, She asked if Nikki had ever come to work, and they stated no. No one had seen her. Nikki missed her shift at the prison, which she had never missed a single day. So then investigators finally got involved. They began checking local hotels and the houses around the laundromat, asking if they saw Nikki or saw anything out of the ordinary. Nothing panned out or gave them a lead. Finally, law enforcement looked into the men that had been harassing her at the laundromat. They were able to locate people who were working there, there at the laundromat that day, and they said that they didn't notice anything suspicious. I'm unsure if there simply wasn't surveillance or if they just didn't obtain any, but no video footage was ever received from the laundromat itself. Well, yeah, and what is, quote, working at the laundromat, what does that entail? Because... Like our laundromat, I mean, would it be just someone in a back office in in case something ha- happens? Maybe they. No one works at the Bream or at like our maintenance. <laughs> Maybe like maintenance or like people taking the coins out or I don't know. Because yeah, that's what I'm saying. There Cleaning. wouldn't be someone there the whole time if it's yeah. a standard. Well, maybe it depends on how, like, popular the laundromat is, Mm -hmm. too, that they have to have somebody there to make sure nobody's, you know, vandalizing or, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Never know what happens at the laundromat. But there was 
nothing that was showing that Nikki was harassed or who these two men even were. Nothing was panning out. And detectives looked through her bank account statements, and there was no activity since she went missing. I also found that they checked her cell phone records, but nothing was mentioned that she actually had a cell phone. So I don't know what that's about. It was still like it was 2001. It was pretty rare for people to have a cell phone. So no one found said like she didn't have her phone, but they did say they checked her cell phone records. It said that. They checked bank statements and cell phone records. I don't know if there was actually cell phone records, like she did have a cell phone, or that they're saying we checked to see if she had a cell phone. Or gotcha, you know gotcha. what I mean? Is it, does, is that so? I can we can assume that nothing came of the phone. Yeah, record. there okay. was there was no phone. Not that there that she had a phone or there were records. There just was no phone records. Am I making sense? I get what you're saying. Yeah, they checked circle, phone records to see if she had one and she didn't. She either did or there was nothing to be found. Well, gotcha. I would I would think that if she had a cell phone, that Bobby would have called her directly to find out where she was. Yeah, exactly. But we're looking at what, 1998, 2001. 2001. Still pretty early. Still pretty early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, police started doing a ground search, an aerial search around Richmond all the way to Dayton to potentially find a body or Bobby's missing vehicle. While the police were at work, Nikki's family went door to door handing out missing person flyers. They felt like they had no direction to go. It was truly as if Nikki disappeared on into thin air. Suspicion started to grow around one person. Not just because it's usually the first person and place that people look, but also because of strange behaviors that had been presented. Bobby started acting really weird when the search was going on. Every time they would be out searching, like various places like fields or woods, etc., Bobby would put on his best clothes. Like, not hiking boots, not comfortable clothes for walking. It was like his nicest church wear, almost as if he was preparing to be on the news or to give an interview. Yeah. Well, but like, I mean, if he's like kind of like metro, you know what I mean? Like, I know guys that wear inappropriate clothes to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But if they're mentioning it, maybe it was out of character to do for him to do that. I don't I don't think it was out of character okay. from my understanding, because he was kind of a, a pretty boy. Like, that's yeah. the only way I can say it. Like, well, he dressed would, really nice all the time. He was styling. He was styling, profiling. He was a styler. styler. He was a styler. Was it, uh, Fran Watson's words. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he made himself the center of all the interviews, always in his best. And Nikki's family wondered if this was more about him getting attention than it was about finding his fiance. Then, days within Nikki's disappearance, Bobby started canceling the wedding arrangements. He called the reception hall, and he wanted a refund. He tried to return the wedding rings, but wasn't successful in doing so because Nikki had purchased them herself, and her name was on the receipt. He even called her college to discuss her student loan and to get her tuition back. But he wasn't successful with this because her work had paid for her to go to school. Well, that's nice. But, like, I don't know. I kind of see that, too, because if you think about it, he's like, okay, even if she comes back tomorrow, all we got to do is postpone some stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But if she comes back tomorrow and we don't do this, or if she comes back a day after the date, we don't do all this, they're out thousands of dollars. I mean, yeah. tuition, well, I guess her work paid for tuition, but I mean, a venue, that's probably three grand right there. Well, I feel like he sh- would know that this, the work was paying for the schooling. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't, 
don't it know. Is, I, I mean, just it's weird. It is weird. If there was a red flag, this is a huge one that's yeah, being waved for around. For sure. Because it's like, why do you even care about that right now? Yeah. Yeah. So authorities also noticed this behavior and decided to bring Bobby in for questioning. He was completely open about his day and had a complete and total rock solid alibi. He stated that the last thing on his mind was the wedding. And he was doing all of this and trying to get all this money for a reward, for the searches, for billboards. He figured these resources would be more helpful than worrying about the wedding. He stated he was questioning about the student loans to just inquire about them, not to actually get money back. He also said that the rings in particular, um, he wanted to return those because he wanted to buy a cell phone because it was, these are his words, too difficult to be in contact with police and family while they were all out searching. And he didn't have a cell phone Mm -hmm. because it was still in that weird time where not everybody had a cell phone like now. Police asked if he would take a polygraph. I hate polygraphs I know. Because it's like if you say no, it's suspicious. If you say yes. Yeah. I hate them too. And he agreed. And it showed signs of deception. But unfortunately, like we've talked about before, lie detector tests don't mean squat. And without any true evidence and a solid alibi, Bobby couldn't be held and was only labeled as a person of interest. Bobby had since spoken about the questions that he was asked during the polygraph and why he was, which ones he was deceptive on. Apparently, there were questions like if he was responsible for Nikki's disappearance and if he did and he did feel like he was partially responsible. He said that he was her fiance. He was supposed to be her protector and he felt like he failed her. But just days after everything happened, he washed Nikki's car inside and out, which is concerning. I don't know about everyone else, but we take our car through the car wash like once every couple months and clean it out maybe like once a month. I have never taken my car through the car wash. Oh, don't tell anybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll keep that our little secret. Thanks. <laughs> I guess it depends on like how bad it is and if like we have other things going on. But he stated this was something that she had asked him to do that Sunday that she went missing um, since he had her car and he didn't. So he felt like he was and he wasn't keeping his word to her and yeah. decided to do it so that when she came back, she'd have a fresh, clean car. I don't know. It just seems a little is, suspicious. Is her daughter probably with her mom throughout all this or is she the staying with Bobby? Dad. Her her biological oh, dad, Stephen. Oh, OK. So she's OK. Sorry. I forgot he was even a thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I can totally. I under- forget that a lot. I can totally understand him. I mean, if he's feeling guilty that, yeah, you know, or feeling bad that she's gone, he's like, well, you know, I promise to do this. I want to go do this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just like it's almost like not mourning, but almost trying to make it right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. At this point, police had no leads at all. The two leads that they had were dead ends: the men at the laundromat and Bobby. Her family wondered if the story of the men was a cover-up for a different reason that she was upset. But there was nothing that they could base this off of, and it was just pure speculation. The case then went cold. So when you say a different reason being upset, maybe she was, like, covering for Mr. B-O-B-B-I-E? No, why? No. <laughs> I would go why. Yeah, why. I-E is, like, feminine, right? Yes. <laughs> You Sometimes you just drop the E and it's just an I. Oh, sassy. <laughs> Three months later, on October 3rd, Bobby's missing vehicle was found. It was parked in Dayton, in the parking lot of the Meadows of Catalpa apartment complex. 
The vehicle was in normal condition on the outside, but when they opened it up, they found that the laundry Nikki washed that day was folded and put in baskets in the back. Other than there was uh, no, there was no signs of a struggle or anything that was outwardly a concern. Detectives sent the vehicle off for forensic testing to hopefully find fingerprints, hair, literally anything. But when they, it was tested, it came back totally clean. The seat was even exactly where Nikki would have had it to drive. Police believe Nikki drove herself and parked the vehicle there. The one and only thing that they were able to find was the ignition had been tampered with and the radio was taken, but they didn't, they couldn't necessarily connect that it was, had anything to do with her disappearance or someone had just found the car unlocked. And over the course of three months, the vehicle sat and they simply stole the radio and tried to steal the car. For sure. For sure. But if you were, if you were a thief and you find this vehicle, when you rifle through everything that's in the back, including the laundry? Um, not if you're just like a, I mean, if you're a teenager, you just steal car radios. You don't give a shit about anything else. Okay, that's fair. But I do see what you're saying. I'd yeah. go through the laundry. I'd be like, damn, these are cool mm-hmm. pants. I'm taking these too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this top. Yeah, for real. The car itself didn't give them much to work with, but where it was parked definitely led them to some clues. The apartment complex was the exact place Nikki's ex and the father of her child, Stephen Johnson, lived. Obviously, this is pretty concerning about Stephen. Could he be upset that Nikki was getting married? Could he be upset with her about something else, like maybe about their daughter? He had a history of being abusive, so, I mean, it wasn't too far-fetched, was it? The cops asked Stephen to come to the station for questioning. Ashley, you look like you're about to jump out of your skin. he He didn't see her car? He didn't see the car? In the apartment complex that he lived at? Right. He didn't recognize it? Oh, a big-ass red 4 by 4 Well, how big was the apartment complex? Would he drive past it every day? Yeah, I guess how close was it parked to his specific building, mm-hmm. I guess. Hmm. 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 <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> a moment for you know. Okay, sorry. He went to the station and willingly answered everything that they wanted to know and even took a polygraph test. His alibi was rock solid, and shockingly, he passed the polygraph with no problems. Other than the location of the vehicle being at his apartment, they had no evidence that Stephen was involved in Nikki's disappearance at all. They stated that it was just coincidence. Yeah, you know what? I don't know if people are that dumb. I don't think he would park it there if he was involved. He'd park it somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. But still, it's lame he didn't see it. Yeah. But this isn't where the weird coincidences stop. A quarter of a mile down the road from the meadows of Catalpa Apartments lived Tommy Swint with his girlfriend. Tommy and the girlfriend were both co-workers of Nikki's. From what Nikki's sister had stated, the girlfriend had these hair, skin, and nail vitamins that Nikki was searching for and she really wanted to try. The girlfriend had stated at work that she was willing to give her some. So the sister believes that Nikki had decided to go get the vitamins after she did her laundry. Nikki always saw Tommy as a brother figure, but she was warned by other people that maybe she should just stay away from him. He was notorious for being angry and aggressive, especially towards women. But Nikki had too big of a heart to listen to anyone else and was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he always seemed to be really kind to her. But according to others, Tommy considered her more than just a friend or a big brother. Tons of rumors were going around the correctional facility that Nikki and Tommy were having a secret relationship. 
When people looked deeper into it, it was found out to be all one-sided and, frankly, borderline dangerous. Tommy was obsessed with Nikki. And Nikki was not at all interested. She was happily in love and getting married to Bobby. Tommy becomes even more of a concern when Nikki's sister recalls a scary situation that happened. One day, she decided to stop by Nikki's apartment on a whim just to say hi. As she approached the door, she heard a woman screaming. She realized it's Nikki and rushed through her sister's apartment door. There she found Tommy standing over top of Nikki as she was laying on her back on the ground. She had her foot up against his chest, keeping him off of her. Nothing much else is known about this, but it's pretty clear Tommy was dangerous towards he Nikki. Did Nikki told her sister after everything happened that she believed Tommy was going to sexually assault her if she didn't arrive. He had tried to come on to her and she just kept telling him no, but he refused to listen and got aggressive. Also, this story makes me sick. Also, another odd behavior of Tommy's. Nikki had a bridal shower shortly before she went missing, which normally this is like a stereotypical woman's event, quote unquote. Um, usually men don't go or they don't give gifts for the bride. It's kind of like a, you know, ladies having fun kind of thing. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I just threw one. I know. <laughs> but Tommy decided to go get a gift for Nikki anyway. It was extremely inappropriate. He bought her some pretty sexy lingerie and everyone at the shower was shocked and weirded out by this because that's not usually something that a man would do, especially because he bought himself, he bought the lingerie for her and the worst part that he wasn't invited to the shower at all. That was my next question. He sent the gift, quote unquote, through the mail to her house and then she waited to open it at the bridal shower and then was like super disgusted and embarrassed because whoa yeah that's so creepy isn't it gross authorities were beginning to think that he had something to do with her disappearance considering his weird attraction and obsession with nikki and then the odd gift and the attempt of sexual assault and force that he exhibited on her Police asked him to come in for questioning, and he was not handling that well at all. He dodged every single question they asked by not talking about the question that that was asked or ignoring it or only like vaguely answering it or going completely off topic. They didn't even attempt to give him a polygraph test because of how he was behaving during yeah, the questioning. Yeah, like inconclusive. Exactly. Once again, they had no evidence to hold him, and he wasn't complying And they couldn't do much. All they could do was label him the main person of interest within the case and kept on moving. This is where the case went completely cold and silent. I wonder if they surveilled him. They had nothing. They had no evidence, just situational people of interest, which two of which could be explained. Tommy was no help and was difficult when it came to questioning. Detectives had nothing, but the family still did everything they could possible to keep Nikki's disappearance within the community and her name in the media. They held candlelight vigils every year outside of the laundromat on the day that she went missing. They reached out to the media and spoke to them whenever they could. Her daughter Peyton went on the news and spoke herself. They were able to fly out to New York and get, they got coverage out there. Even Um, there is an episode of missing that's covering her case. Three years later, there was an unexpected break. In 2007, Tommy was hired as a police officer at a neighboring town's police force. 
Yeah, I know. He passed the psyche valve? Richmond PD found out about this and they couldn't believe it. He was still a main person of interest within Nikki's disappearance. How in the hell would a police force knowingly hire someone who could even possibly be connected to this horrible crime and ongoing investigation? Mm -hmm. Richmond police went to that police force and asked them straightforward why they were doing this. Come to find out, they had no idea that Tommy was a person of interest. So they didn't do a check at all on him? He didn't disclose it, obviously. And how did they not know and do a more thorough background check? Doesn't make sense to me, but that's how it worked out. Tommy had only been working for this department for about two months, but they gave him two options. Either resign or get fired. Tommy chose to resign, but just like his character suggests, he threw a tantrum the entire time. When he resigned, he hired a lawyer to try to sue the city of Richmond and the Richmond Police Department. He tried to say that it was never disclosed to him that he was a person of interest in Nikki's case, and he was cooperative through the whole investigation. (laughs) He told them that they had completely ruined his career and his reputation in the area. I mean... He's not wrong. I mean, if he's not involved, that does fucking suck, you know? A huge debate started. They were able to prove that, in fact, he was a person of interest and he was informed of this. In return, Tommy tried to say that he was cooperative to try to win the lawsuit. But Richmond PD responded with, if you were so cooperative, why did you deny a DNA test when we asked for it? Mm -hmm. They had proof once again that he wasn't complying with that. Tommy said, fine, I'll give you DNA now, which... Too little, too late, bud. But they took his DNA anyway. Well, yeah, you never know. Tommy lost the lawsuit, shocker, and decided to move to Alabama to try to start over. But it all backfired on him. Tommy was now openly, to the public, the main person of interest in the disappearance of Nikki. Because he did the lawsuit? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Which led to an anonymous tip coming out of Dayton, Ohio. This person told investigators that they had seen Tommy's face on the news when all the court hearings were going on. They suggested that investigators needed to look at Tommy as a suspect in the 1991 murder of Tina Marie Ivory. Woof. Tina was a 33-year-old sex worker living in Dayton, Ohio. She had been found dumped in a pile of trash in the woods, wrapped in a blanket, and covered in duct tape. She had been severely beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled. When she was found, investigators were able to get DNA off of her body from the attacker, but they had no suspects or persons of interest in the DNA, so the DNA didn't help any. But now they had this tip. Dayton police began looking into Tommy and found out that he was connected to Nikki's disappearance. They contacted Richmond authorities to communicate and share that they may be involved with Tina. He may be involved with Tina's murder and that they had DNA from her body. Richmond police told them, hey, guess what? We have his DNA now because Mm -hmm, of all mm -hmm, these lawsuits mm -hmm. that went on. So if it's a match, they can use this as leverage to see if he was involved in Nikki's disappearance. And also solve. And to solve Tina's murder. Yes. DNA was sent off, compared, and ding, 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 it was a match. Oh, my God. But unfortunately, this didn't mean that he was the killer. They needed to prove that he was at the scene of the crime where her where her body was found. They needed solid, beyond a shadow of a doubt, evidence. So they combed through Tina's entire case with a fine-toothed comb and were able to pull a palm print located on the tape used to wrap her up that was found at the crime scene. 
They used this print, pulled fingerprints from it, and then they wanted to compare them to his own fingerprints, which they somehow didn't have. Which shocks me because I thought when you worked within a jail, a prison, or any other kind of law enforcement, you automatically had to submit your fingerprints. They went down to Alabama and told them their plan and asked for his prints, which he had no problem giving them at his new job at a correctional facility, even though in the past he was throwing a fit with every interaction with the police. It was a match. And now they were certain that he was Tina's killer. fucking awesome. Those close to him stated that he was a very aggressive person and they weren't shocked. If he was capable of killing Tina, he probably wasn't it probably wasn't his first or his last time. Authorities took this evidence down to Alabama and confronted Tommy about it. Um, he seemed shocked about being confronted and asked for a lawyer, and then he just left. At this time, Dayton PD was gathering everything they needed to indict him and sent Alabama local officers to arrest him in November of 2010. When the officers arrived to arrest him for the murder of Tina Ivory, they heard a gunshot. When they entered his home, he was found on the floor of his home dead to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. What a bitch. After 19 years, Tina's family was able to seek justice for her and get answers. Maybe they would be able to get answers to where Nikki was, but unfortunately all of this was just thrown completely out the window. Further searching led them to believe Tommy Swint was a serial killer. Not much is released, but they have reason to believe Tina wasn't his first murder, and they truly believe he is the source of Nikki's disappearance. But unfortunately, it will continue to remain unsolved. But this doesn't mean that the case is completely hopeless. If you remember, at the time of Nikki's disappearance, Tommy was dating a woman that also worked at the correctional facility in Dayton. I was going to ask why you kept calling her the girlfriend. Why is she unnamed? This is who Nikki called that day, asking for the vitamins. There was no other reason that she would be in Dayton because she wasn't there to see Stephen and he had been completely cleared by investigators. It is believed that the woman could have possibly lured Nikki for Tommy because he was so obsessed with her. Maybe she didn't want to come forward all these years because she was scared of Tommy. But now that Tommy's dead, why hasn't she come forward with any new information? Because, well, she may be involved with the crime. Maybe she wanted Nikki dead, too, because she was jealous of how much Tommy was obsessed with her. And Tommy wanted her dead because she denied his advances towards her. Mm-hmm. They all worked together. I'm sure the girlfriend heard the rumors that were floating around. Maybe she never saw Nikki as a victim, but as a threat to her relationship. Maybe that is why Nikki was upset the last time that she was seen. She was either uneasy about going to Tommy's or she had an argument with the girlfriend. Maybe she made up a story because she didn't want them to seem like bad people. Maybe the girlfriend was the same size as Nikki and she drove the car to the apartment complex in the parking lot knowing that Stephen lived there. So that's what the police would think immediately. Because yeah, didn't you say it was like a quarter mile away? Yep. Maybe all the DNA and prints were cleaned before she left. Or maybe Nikki did park there because she was familiar with the area and knew that she could just walk Tommy's house since it was so close. As of 2019, this woman is on a list of people that would the police would like to speak to concerning Nikki's disappearance. Um, there is a huge possibility that not only does she have information, but that she's involved. And that's why she's stayed silent, even though there is no longer a threat with Tommy. At one time, there was a $20,000 reward and still no one came forward. The current investigator is extremely dedicated to solving Nikki's case. It's just a matter of finding the correct dots to link her to link for this case to be solved, even if the person who committed it won't face the consequences of his actions. 
Nikki, her fiance, her daughter, and her entire family deserve this case to be closed. Another really sad end to this case, uh, I discovered that Bobby, Nikki's fiance at the time of her disappearance, passed away in March of 2021. In his obituary, it said that he was preceded in death by his fiance, Nikki McCown. So she hasn't been, like, officially Mm-mm. declared dead yet? I don't believe so. No. Marilyn Nikki McCown went missing from Richmond, Indiana on July 22nd, 2001. At the time of her disappearance, she was 28 years old, was 5 feet 2 inches tall, and weighed about 115 pounds. She had light brown hair and brown eyes. She has a scar above her left eye, a scar on top of her head, and a scar on her lower left leg. She was last seen wearing a bright pink and purple floral swimsuit top, dark colored shorts, diamond earrings, and a white gold bracelet. Today, she would be 49 years old. If you have any tips that could lead to finding Nikki, please contact the Richmond Police Department directly at 765-983-7247. All tips are anonymous. So, Ashley, Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Um, what does it mean that woman is on the list of people they would like to talk to? Do they not know where she is? Like, why can't they talk to her? Why haven't they talked to her? I think they would have to have reasoning that she was involved. There is reasoning that she was involved. She was dating the guy at the time of Nikki's disappearance. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. I think that she has to be mean willing. They can't ask her to come in. Oh, they she, have no so evidence. She's saying no. Well, they have no evidence to prove that she was involved in any way or had. Well, I know, but if the cops came to me and they were like, "Hey, you're on our," if li- she's not willing, she doesn't have to. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So she probably doesn't. They're asking want her to come forward. So she's that's not. She's sketch. choosing not to. So that's sketchy. Yes. That's yeah. That's why, like, it was excusable because Tommy was violent and had this history yeah, of violence yeah. towards women, especially. But now that he's dead, some people have that delusion like that even after death, people can still get to them. There was that one case where the woman, this actually might have been a TV show. I'm not positive, <laughs> but I, I don't think it was, but it might have been. So she she murdered her husband like all calmly and like the reason I'm saying it might be a TV show was because I, I remember visualizing it, but it might have been a reenactment. Too. Yeah. But she, like, bludgeoned or shot her husband or something in bed. And then after he was dead, she, like, like, well, I mean, I know, obviously, it's, like, to cover up the crime. But I remember it being very, like, crazy. like A telltale heart is what I think. The way that she cleaned. The Edgar Allan Poe story. A telltale heart. A telltale heart. heart. (laughs) But, yeah, it's, like, that delusion that they can even hurt you. Like, I mean... Remember when I was whispering to you? Yes. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, you still feel threatened. You still feel like they're... It's PTSD. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, I mean... Do you not remember A Telltale Heart? No. You don't remember that? Oh, Is that the one where the heart's in the floor? You. Yes. Okay. I I do. But it's not a... The body's just dead, but they're like thinking that they're going to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. They keep hearing it. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Woof. Jeremy? I'd like to make a couple statements. Okay. Oh, no questions, just statements. I like your style. I have a question, but I have a statement. Uh, We go back to the 72 hours the police department was, that said they had to wait. I just have a strong, strong feeling that even if they would have forced their way into 
Following that report, the police department wouldn't have done jack. No, yeah. once they, they think been it's like, not oh yeah, a we follow, we follow the report. It's all good. Yeah, we'll get into that, and then seventy-two hours later, they might get into yeah, that. Yeah, and you're right, but at least it's on file. It's in the yeah. system, and if something comes up in those seventy-two hours and something gets ran, it'll pop up. I wonder if there's if you file a police report, they only have so much time before they have to look into it, or they could be in trouble for negligence at some point. I mean, that's a possibility. I just know that when you said that, I'm like, well, you know, I, I get it that you'd want it pushed out, but. They're not going to do jack shit. They're just going to sit there and, and wait for the 72 hours before they even consider it. But yeah. that's because I don't believe in them. <laughs> Was that the end of the, that statement? That's the end of that statement. <laughs> Um, do we know why Bobby moved away in 1998 or whatever it was? Why no, I couldn't figure out why. I don't know if it was I mean, just it's like, California. Yeah, he was. Why not? Wanting to be young and free and wild and doing his thing. Well, do you know okay. if her daughter's still around? I believe so. Yeah, still around Richmond. How old would she be? Oh, she was born in 92. What was her name? She's Peyton. Hmm. It would be. I know some people in that area. It would be Peyton, like the Union so, City, so, so. yeah, Richmond, yeah, yeah. I know. I remember when we uh, were right there at the hmm. Indiana border. Hmm. It would be. She's digging through her notes. Peyton Johnson, I Peyton believe, is what her Johnson. name would be. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, she's, I'll have to. I'll send out some messages. She's probably ask. married by now. That was. Oh yeah, she'd be. Yeah, she's my age. Yeah, ninety-two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right 92, 93, she would be our age. So why why speculate? Why speculate all that time? Oh, well, she maybe she went to work or maybe she did this or maybe she did that. What why wouldn't you like just jump mom in the, and... Mom, Because Bobby, you, you rationalize. It's too scary. To, that happens all the time. It's too yeah, scary but, to you think know, about the bad parts. When, you know, half an hour, okay. An hour, okay. But well, you how get long into did the, they speculate? Till ten o'clock at night, right? Yeah, they went. To the at least they didn't wait till the night. next day. Well, I I, I want to know why we just didn't jump in a car and go down the laundromat and see what was going on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. They were black, and I hate to make this a thing, um, but I think that maybe there is a a thing within the black community that going to the police is not the first thing that they want well, to do because they're not often taken seriously. Yeah, which and they weren't seventy-two yeah. hours. They weren't. Yeah. Yep. Which 72 hours is the longest I've ever heard. That, and I read – that's so freaking weird because I've never heard that time frame either it's until like time. two days ago I read about a story where they told him that. And I was like, 72? I've heard 48. I've heard 24. I've never heard 72. Yeah. But it might be because it's like an adult case. Well, even – yeah. Even with adult cases, it's like, yeah. oh, if they're missing for 48 hours, then come back. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Don't do it. Right. Don't listen to them. I have one more question. Okay. Can you tell me again what she was wearing the last thing that she was wearing? Hot pink. Yes, she top. was wearing a um, a bright pink and f- purple floral swimsuit top, dark colored shorts, diamond earrings, and a white gold bracelet. Okay, can I ask a question? Absolutely. If you're going to a place that you know there is a man there that is aggressive and has been aggressive to you in the past, why would you... And, Forgive me, but why would you go dress like that? Oh, sorry. The 
<laughs> because clothes say nothing. Well, not only that, it it doesn't say if it's a bikini top. It could have been like a tankini, where it's like it looks like a tank top kind of shirt. Okay, that's fair. And laundry when, you say bi- when you're there, when you say and you're... bikini top. That's what I think is. It was you know... a swimsuit top. Um, oh, we're not victim blaming here. Uh, I'm yeah. not victim blaming. Sure. I am not. But yeah, victim it's blaming, hot but... in laundry mat. You're folding hot clothes you just pulled out of a dryer. Well, and she had a lot of laundry. I've been in the position where I've had shirts, right? I didn't have any clean underwear, so I had to wear my swimsuit bottoms, or I didn't have a top, so I had to wear like my tankini top because it was so hot outside. Maybe she had been like, you know, that. Well, they went to church, and then they. I just find I'm I'm not victim blaming. I don't want it to. I know it sounds like that, but I'm really not. But if you know that that person is aggressive, obviously the sister walked in on. Him standing over top of her. Well, that's her. not the guy. They didn't ever named him as the guy at the laundromat. Tommy, he wasn't the guy at the no, laundromat, but, was he? No, but he, they suspect that after she left the laundromat, oh, she went she to went Dayton to. to meet with the girlfriend. Yeah. To meet with the girlfriend of Tommy's girlfriend. Tommy's girlfriend. But that's not confirmed? Or it well, confirmed. And it's also not confirmed that Tommy li- and the girlfriend lived together either. So, I mean, you yes, know, that they can, did live together. Did they? Yeah. Yes. But I was, she's saying the last time she was seen was by her mom and them. She could have changed. She was done with her clothes. She might yeah, have not had that on. She might have had regular true. clothes on. That's true, but that's what pops out to me. It was like it just it just seems to add to that. And it if her girlfriend was there, you feel safer too. Yeah. Oh, for when sure. When there's a woman there, I don't know. It still just fuels that fire for me. Is like if you're dressed in something a little more what could be considered seductive with somebody who has got a major crush on you. That just I would think that that would amplify his. Oh yeah, she's here to she's geared to give it up. Yeah, but you can't. You can't I base your decisions Okay, I on... understand. I, I do not. I do too. Yeah, no, he's being an asshole. Yeah, it's yes, not her. Because it doesn't matter how I you dress for people like that. They're going to be aggressive and they're going to be shitty. It doesn't matter what you're yeah, wearing. I, if I was her, I wouldn't have went there anyway. But Yeah, but that may have like triggered him yeah. to want to act mm-hmm. like a fucking animal. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> I don't know. I, like I said, I'm not victim blaming. I just seemed a little crazy that that's what she would have been wearing. Well, and it was, it was June. Oh, I understand why she's wearing it. It's hot, and yeah. the laundromat's hot, and yeah, I. It really sucks that there's not going to be any answers because they can't find her body, and that was something else. Is I mean, was there any details on the on the woman Tina where they found her body in in relevance to where Tommy was at that at that time? Yeah, and they said they suspected him a serial killer. Did they find other bites, or they just suspected because of like of the victimology? And I think it was how this you know a kill like this was too good to be somebody's. Yeah, yeah, first first kill. time. Well, I just wonder because if it, you know, in in cases like that, um, they have a specific way that they get rid of bodies. So mm-hmm. I wondered if they could correlate and they have, like, a that. Comfort yeah. zone. It's like work, home. Where you grocery shop and then, yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty messed up. Damn. So hopefully, it's not hopeless though because that woman may come forward sometime. Yeah, who knows? I really hope that she can find it in her conscience to, to come forward because, just to at least even just to say I don't know anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm. Pretty gnarly. That, that is gnarly. Up. 
I'm glad that they solved Tina's case, though. That's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Nice There's some closure there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a shame that he couldn't face the consequences of his Seriously. poor choices. Um, when it came to that, he and I think that gives a little bit of proof that he he knew that they had it had him for Tina, not only Tina but Nikki as well. So it was easier for him to. Mm-hmm. And who who knows who else? Yeah. So. Yeah, wow. absolutely. It's all about image. He couldn't face it and have people think that. And from pictures, like, he was a big dude. He was kind of a scary, like, he looked like a big guy. So, I mean. With a penis. You know, it's it's really awesome thinking that Nikki was so kind that she would even let people that had wronged her. I mean, that's sad, but she was still willing to give people a second chance. And yeah. she had so much going for her, and it's just. Really shitty. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, shitty situation. Yeah. Shitty case. Oh, well, I hope. Um, what's her daughter's name? I'm Peyton. Really sorry. Peyton. I keep wanting to say Bobby. I hope Peyton's doing That's well. The stepdad, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I hope Peyton's. She's doing good. I hope so. She. I mean, she would be our age. So. Mm-hmm. Wild. Crazy. I would like to give a quick shout out to our partners. Golden Image Podcast and The Call Guys. Golden Image is hosted by our producer, Jeremy. That's me. Gunner and Skyler. And they go to local restaurants and other attractions within Indiana and review them so you don't have to. So if you need suggestions on places to go or you want to check out a new place to eat, just Give them a listen. Um, And the Call Guys, they are hosted by Gunner and Colton, who are both just a couple of goobers. They discuss all different kinds of shows and movies along with some of their own antics. So if you need a lighthearted, fun listen after a heavy heavy episode of Murd Nerds, they are definitely the perfect fit to lighten your mood. Or maybe you want to keep yourself creeped out after listening to Murd Nerds. If so... Jeremy and I just started a new podcast with our Texas partners, Logan, Matt, and Bose. It's called The United States of Paranormal. I don't know. (laughs) We cover all kinds of spooky and creepy stories located in the good old U.S. of A. Our links and social media for all of these podcasts can be found within our show notes and on our social media pages. Go support our small podcast network. The more support, the more we grow, the better the content. Um, have anything you want to tell us? Hmm? Have a case you'd like to re- like us to research for a future episode? You can contact us at our email, murdnerds at gmail.com, or just search murdnerds on all popular social media. If you would rather be anonymous with your opinions, located in our bios on our social media platforms is a Linktree account that you can click and find at the top. There's a link to a survey page. It's completely anonymous. And while you're on our social media pages, you can find photos and a map of each case that we cover. Don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. If you're an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, please, please rate and review. Within the app, this is the best and easiest way to help support us at Murderers. Plus, it's completely free. This helps us move up in the charts and also gets us noticed by sponsors for ads. Do it. And if you would like to help support the podcast monetarily, 
You can pledge a monthly donation of $0.99, or $9.99. That's like a cup of coffee. Help us, we're poor. (laughs) This helps us at Murder Nerds with equipment, merch, licensing, and anything else that we could possibly need to make Murder Nerds the best possible podcast. Uh, Right now, we have three super awesome contributors. It's Logan Mattenbus. <laughs> Still over, over at the United States of Paranormals. Thank you guys for helping support Murder Nerds. And you want to rep your love for Murder Nerds? I do. I do. <gasps> do you? I, I have do. the best place for you to go. Where do I go? <laughs> we have a merch store. A Murd merch store, some would Murd say. merch? Yeah. Well, to... isn't that clever? It's so <laughs> clever. God, we're so funny. I know. Um, there's some sick designs. Sick. Sick. In a good way. Created by yours truly. I got I got a leaf, a monstera leaf. That's my favorite plant. And it looks like a skull face in it. Did you put the glasses one up? I not have not yet? put the glasses one oh. up yet. But that's to come. It's a cool one. Thanks. Uh, there's a poison bottle that like the bubbles make Murd Nerds podcast. That's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we've got just the classic logo or there's this really cool moth one. It's a death moth with a skull I like skull the moth back. Yeah. There's leggings, hoodies, shirts. You can show your Murd love with some Murd merch. I always wear mine when I go out. Because Jeremy loves us and he supports this podcast. It's Correct. true. Hey, can I give a shout out real quick? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Walk-Ins Repair. So uh, if you're in northern Indiana and you need something fixed on your automobile, I'm going to tell you to take it to walk-in repair. I am not being paid for this sponsorship. They just take really good care of me, got me up and running, and uh, I really like those guys. So give Travis McCoy a call over there at Walk-In's Repair. If you like the number, I don't have it on me right this second, you can hit me up at imageradio at yahoo.com or through – I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. All right. Let's give them a quick little – like I said, that's uh, not. It's not a. It's not a paid sponsorship. I just. He just likes them. I do. Just wants they to give treat my me five. really, really well. Awesome. I like that. Yes. You like that? I like that. Nice. We all like that. We like that. So you should like that too. <laughs> you should. And you should like our pages. You should. You should do all. Of, there's so much liking to go around, and it's just one click, guys. If you don't want to spend money, I totally understand. Not a big deal. Although, although it's good quality stuff, and I made it with my hands, my own hands. So she just, didn't sew sew anything. <laughs> <laughs> just so we're clear. All right. Until next week, stay safe out there, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.